Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. This week, we're reviewing episode 71, Guides. As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened previously in Attack on Titan, so you've been warned. We have a fun little tidbit to share about Strictly Anime. We recently reached our one-year anniversary as of March 1st. Which is today. Which is the... Today we're recording, but then by the time oh, this yeah. goes up on Wednesday, it'll have been, what, two days in the past? We rec- So we watched the Attack on Titan episodes on Sundays, we write our notes, we record on Mondays, and then Carl will edit on Tuesdays, and everything goes live on Wednesday. So the time, by the time you guys are hearing this, we'll have passed our one-year anniversary, but it is technically today the day that we're recording march 1st very exciting stuff very exciting indeed it's it's great to be able to say that we've reached this milestone of one year with this podcast and we've we've been through a lot we've reviewed a lot learned a lot we've learned a lot all the friends that we've made along the way (laughs) we've reviewed a lot of anime We've put out a lot of episodes. We've been able to do this Attack on Titan special event. It's been amazing. And we're very much looking forward to bringing you another year of wonderful anime content. Yeah, it's crazy to think. um, And I'm going to pull a quote from Uncharted here. uh, Greatness from small beginnings. Uh, But it's crazy to think that, you know, a year ago, we started off this podcast just with like one mic and inside of a closet because we thought that was the best way to... Uh, keep the sound um, from bouncing off the walls too much. We literally recorded inside a closet. No yeah. joke. But now we have a pretty good setup, um, and we've definitely upgraded our mics. So it's it's nice to see that our journey is has come along so far and is still have a ways to go. Um, but of course, like we want to thank everyone for their support and for for listening to our podcast and joining us in this journey so yes thank you very much hopefully everyone's been enjoying everything we've been putting out so far we've had a lot of fun doing it and with that we also want to mention a um a listener shout out to anas from saudi arabia Hi, anas. who recently reached out to us i think after last week's attack on titan episode to clarify something that we were a bit um a bit confused about because we couldn't quite recall what had happened. So if you listen to our last Attack on Titan episode about episode 70, Deceiver, we were talking about Reeves and his relationship with Hanj, and I couldn't quite remember his significance to her. Like, I knew that they had some history or whatever. They had, like, a, a good working relationship, but I incorrectly recalled him being the one who, in season one, during the Battle of Trost, blocked the gateway through the wall when the Titans were attacking the town, um, which is also the same scene that Luis was first introduced. And I think we were maybe a bit confused about Luis's significance or where she really first appeared. Um, so Anna sent us the clip from season one, and it shows, again, during the Battle of Trost, Demo Reeves, who is um, the father of, I'm going to butcher his name, Flagle. Flagle Reeves, who we see in last week's Attack on Titan episode. Um, he's blocking the gateway through the wall during the Battle of Trost, with his carriage full of goods and supplies. 
and all the people are trying to get through and this attack this uh, this titan comes running down the street um and mikasa comes up and slices its neck and saves the people particularly luis and her mom which is that flashback we see in last week's episode but then kind of tying everything all together demo reeves again is the father of legal reeves who i think i don't know was it season one when he and hanj were teaming up to try and like the whole interior police thing do you remember what season that was wasn't that season three? Are you talking about Flagel or Demo? Flagel. The With younger Kenny? one. Yeah, that was season three when everyone was turning against the scouts. Okay, so then fast forward to season three. Um, there's, I think, a coup or whatever, and they're trying to, they being the interior police, is trying to frame the scouts for some shit that they did. And I think Demo and Flagel were set to go capture Historia Kenny finds out about it. Kenny kills Demo. Flagel sees the whole thing go down. So he's a witness to what the interior police are actually doing. So then Hanj meets up with Flagel and says, hey, you can help us by testifying in court what you've seen and, you know, clearing the scout's name. Um, He doesn't want to do that. So instead they come up with this whole scheme to draw out the interior police using Flagel as bait um he gets the interior police to admit to their wrongdoings unknowingly to all of the citizens who live in this particular area and then the scouts are saved because their their name is cleared so long story short anna sent us this clip to clarify all that confusion that we had because i I, it's there's a lot that happens in attack on titan it's been a long time since we've seen season one um so i just needed that that clarification and i really appreciate him reaching out to us and helping us kind of clear that air but yeah it's crazy to know that we have an international listener. So once again, thank you, Anas, for for listening to our podcast and for, for your continued support. Yes, thank you. And if we ever do make another mistake, um, please feel free to reach out to us. We want to make sure that we get everything right as much as possible. We're not going to remember every single detail, so we appreciate when someone reaches out to us and kind of helps us get some clarity around any confusion that we have. So thank you again, Anas. Appreciate it. Now on to episode 71, Guides. Here we are. Um, what were your overall thoughts on this week's episode? So at first, I was like, another talking episode. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, watching Attack on Titan, you get these moments of, you know, action. And then you get moments of just a lot of talking and politics. And at this point, it felt like we had too many talking episodes in a row. But, you know, watching this a second time and kind of reading discussions on the internet about what happens in this episode, I think it's a very significant one for the series. In some ways, it can kind of be like a turning point. And it's kind of timely that we had recently watched Code Geass. Um, We already have parts one and two of those podcasts, if you haven't listened to them already. But it's interesting because this episode kind of explores the same themes that were brought up in that series um particularly with you know how bureaucracy can sometimes act like shackles in bringing about real change but then also the effect effectiveness of like revolution or rebellious acts to truly catalyze change um so it's a very interesting episode once you kind of dive into all of these little themes and um discussion points that come up and you start to realize like the implications of everything that is happening within these like 22 23 minutes 
Yeah, I feel like this episode really progressed the plot forward um, a, a significant amount. Like, again, I kind of it's kind of a theme, I feel like. While not a lot happened, like, literally in the episode, what it builds up to for the rest of the show and the rest of the story is, like, major. Um, that said, I feel like this is one of the slower episodes for me, one that I'm probably less excited about, um, similar to last week's episode, Deceiver. And I... I think that um, it, it's really great information that we're getting here, but I just I'm, I'm at that point where like I need to see something more. Like I was so excited when the bomb went off, and I was like, "Oh shit, shit's going down!" Like we, we we're moving forward now. But then it was just you know Zachary's body flying through the air and crash landing, and then everything kind of slowed down again. Um, so I I'd like to see the pace pick up, and I'm I'm hoping it will because we got some some major cliffhangers in this. Yeah. Um... And I think, again, it, it's, as you said, it's nice to see when the story or the pacing keeps moving things forward. And yeah, I think the major set piece in this episode was the explosion at the government building. Um, yeah, one thing I will say with, with this episode, even though it's it's a talking episode, a lot happens and it's just almost like information overload. It but, is. Yeah. Um, but it would be nice to, you know, get more clarification with know the plot progressing so that we can kind of piece together all of these different bits of information and kind of understand it because there's a lot of stuff in this episode that is just confusing and I think it'll be easier to clarify once we see like what happens next even if it has to go at like this really slow pace I have been happy one of my big things is wanting to know what has happened over the last four years um, you know, what, what's led everything to where we are now. And I feel like I'm getting a little too much of my wish. Like I, I, I want to learn more, don't get me wrong, but I'd like some, some action interjected in between this because ultimately like this is an action packed show. It's, it's become more of a political drama, which I, I'm not mad about, but I don't want it to lose its action elements. And I think very specifically back to the first half of season three, where they have that huge Historia arc. And I, I like Historia as a character, but I absolutely hated the first part of season three. Well, maybe hate's a strong word. I, I was not as excited about the first part of season three because it just felt like they they anchored so much on the po- the political drama piece of Attack on Titan. And I know one of the big things, you know, the first couple episodes in with season three was like, where are all the Titans? Where are all the pure Titans or really any Titans? Like that was the big question everyone had. And it was episodes and episodes in before we even got any titans or any action so i feel like I, i'm nervous that we're starting to play back into that same that same trap here but I, i'm sure we won't like there's what four or five episodes left of the season i feel like they'll they'll probably pick things up again pretty soon here and i think it's also just a matter of escalation um with this show because you know with season one this was we were pretty much confined to what we saw within the walls and like only a couple areas outside of the walls. Um, but you know, as we learned the world was even bigger than that, it just introduced like a whole complication of issues and ideologies, um, to the point where we are at now. Um, so I can kind of understand like why the show has gotten so complex, but yeah, I think it just needs to boil that back down with some nice little action set pieces here and there and just 
mind-blowing revelations during the plot. But let's go ahead and jump right in, starting with the synopsis for Season 4, Episode 71, Guides. Armin's about to get touchy-feely with Annie's crystallized shell back in her holding chamber, but backs out when Hitch catches him red-handed and makes the excuse that he wanted to see her Titan memories. Yeah, okay, you sly horndog, you. He learns that word about the military detaining Aaron is getting an audience score of 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, so he and Mikasa head to General Miyazaki's office to ask if they can slap some sense into their fiendish friend but not before noticing some sus scout recruits near the HQ courtyard. Elsewhere, genuine Pikshisu gets Yelena to spill the tea about how she had secret meetings with Aaron prior to his Marley infiltration to instill in him a sense of urgency. But really, she's just a hardcore Jaeger simp who's titillated about witnessing Titan history. In a separate conversation, Onion Coupon tells Metal Gear Hans that Yelena is also probably a crazy-ass bitch who got rid of any volunteers doubting her loyalty to Zeke. Hans also notes the irony of Yelena despising Marley, but pushing for Marley and POWs to have certain rights on parodies. Back at HQ, Mia Zachary tells Armin and Mikasa that the military thinks Aaron is colluding with Zeke and is pretty sus. Too bad he didn't think the random chair in his room was sus, because shortly after their meeting, he is yeeted out of his office by a hidden bomb, which riles up the citizens of Paradis as they call for La Revolucion. We learn that Aaron has escaped prison in the hullabaloo with some scout defectors unhappy with the military's ploy to take away his founding titan power, and has indeed become the Jägermeister of the splinter Jägerist faction as he seeks to find his brother Zeke. As the military tries to figure out what the fuck to do next, genuine Pikshisu comes in to take control and tells them to tighten up security on Historia and Zeke, whom he believes Aaron will try to contact. He also states his intent to make a deal with Aaron by using Zeke's location as a bargaining chip and to overlook seeking vengeance for Mia Zachary's death as much as it pains them to do so. After the debriefing, Homi Kiyomi implores Mikasa to join her on Hizuru's ship once shit starts going down, but our scarlet-scarfed siren tells her to fuck off for she is a tried-and-true Eldian and Kiyomi is a money-hungry bitch. Lastly, Metal Gear Hanj rounds up the scouts to investigate Zeke and Yelena's potential contingency plans for this situation by visiting the Marley and POWs working on the island, one of which is about to host the Browse family and a pair of little fucks at Trattoria Niccolo. And if things couldn't get any worse, who else should pop up to the parody's pandemonium party but a persnickety peak in pitiful putrid plain clothes? How pathetic. Speaking of peak... I think this whole time we've been pronouncing her name Piek because that's how it's spelled. <laughs> Who the Piek cares? <laughs> so we're going to switch it up and, and follow everyone else and just say Peek because they also say Peek in, in the sub. So that's fine. If you hear us make that change, I'm just calling it out now. We didn't know how to say her name. We're doing our best to guess it. I don't want to listen to the dub because I'm not a dub fan. And I was like, I'll just I'll just call her Piek. That's how it's spelled. But no, it's Peek. So from now on, Peek. Thank you. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's very like anti anti Peek. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll we'll dive into that towards the end of the episode. <laughs> but to start off. Armin still has a crush on Annie. How sweet. I'm glad they they kept this alive, this like crush thing that he's got going on. But I do also just kind of feel conflicted about it because she's part of the enemy, the the Marlian army, and she killed a bunch of their friends and betrayed them. Um, So if he can still crush on Annie, why can't they all forgive Reiner? 
because Reiner is not a beautiful woman. <laughs> well, you know, question mark on whether Annie's a beautiful woman, but you know, she she's uh <laughs> Oh yeah. I'm about to get a lot of heat from all the the Annie Sims, but no, she's fine. She's she's a pretty young lady and Armin has a nice pleasant, you know, gentlemanly crush on her. And no matter how many friends of his she crushed with her bare titan hands, it won't crush his love for her. Wow. Well, I'm curious, what was he going to try to do with the memories that he would have extracted from Annie? I don't know, but smart move. Honestly, I don't see anything wrong with what Armin tried to do. And I think it makes complete sense. And I'm kind of annoyed that Hitch stopped him um, and didn't just kind of like let him touch the crystal and see what memories he could extract. Although, I mean, to be fair, maybe if he touched her, he would activate her and then suddenly she'd reawaken and then they'd have to deal with the female Titan. Um, so I guess I can't totally blame Hitch for being cautious, but at some point they really should try that. It's it's worth the risk. Mm -hmm. Also, I completely forgot about Hitch. Like 100% I completely forgot about her. So when she first came on screen, I was like, who the fuck is that? And then Armin said her name and I'm like, I still don't know who that is. And then I thought about it more. I'm like, oh, this is that bitch that shamelessly like ditched the scouts to go work in the inner wall so that she could live a cushy life. Remember? I thought Annie wanted to do that. Annie did too. But I think oh, Hitch also okay. did. And I think Hitch maybe came back for a little bit when they introduced Flock in season three mm -hmm. i could be totally wrong please someone reach out to me because we're talking about this on the fly someone reach out to me if i'm incorrect but um i think that's who this is and she had a mad glow up she looks great like i looked at some pictures of her from the previous season or seasons um and they drew her so much better her character design is a huge improvement i mean it's been what like four or so years since we've seen these characters um so yeah they've They've left their prepubescent stages. <laughs> I know. They're all fucking tall, although Armin must be growing at a slower pace because Mikasa is taller than him. Mm -hmm. When they leave Annie's little chamber of secrets or whatever it is, um, they, we see them go into the courtyard. Chamber of secrets? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a Harry Potter fan. It just, it just came to me. Okay? That's funny. <laughs> um, but when we see Armin and Hitch walk outside to the courtyard, there's a, a crowd protesting and whatnot. And I, I like that Armin said that even though the citizens are frustrated and the newspapers are writing whatever they're writing, um, that the military can't just disclose information about Zeke and about the rumbling. Like, it honestly could compromise everything. Can you imagine the panic that would ensue if the the um, citizens of Shinganshina found out that there was going to be a test rumbling in their area where they would unleash, like, probably a couple hundred titans under one person's control like they reeves even said in the last episode that they finally almost finished rebuilding that area and now they want to evacuate everybody and like i don't know it just would be a huge panic plus again if they revealed information about zeke then what's stopping some people from trying to rescue him or kill him or do god knows what and i think that's one of the interesting things about this episode is the irony in that you know, like the new government of parodies that's been established under Queen Astoria is kind of already falling under the weight of its like political scheming. And I know like it's better to hide the truth from the public than for them to all freak out. But I think by that logic, they're really no different from the puppet government that they had originally tried to oust. So it, it's it's a weird situation. And 
I don't know if there's really a right or wrong answer to whether or not they need to, they should reveal the truth, but. Well, I don't feel like, I have to disagree. I don't think that they're the same as the previous government, which um, I think was pretty corrupt. I think in this case, it's just they're working with so much more important information than that government ever was. And like, they have one opportunity to get this right. And they don't even know if, you know, if Aaron's intentions or Zeke's, Zeke's intentions or anyone's intentions are correct. They still need to figure all of that out. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, they, they are doing what's best for the people of Paradis by being very cautious versus wanting to manipulate them and control them and therefore being secretive. That's, that's my take anyway. But on that same theme of being secretive, we get um, some, some nice dialogue between Yelena and, and Pixies. And I think what we learn here is that Yelena isn't the trustworthy person that Pixis and everyone kind of hoped that she was. She kind of like reveals her true intention um, that her goal is less about the revolution against Marley and more about simping for the Jaeger brothers. So she seemingly confesses everything to Pixis and apologizes for being quiet about it. Um, but you can tell like Pixis is wondering how much he can really trust what Yelena is saying and that she didn't say more to Aaron and Flock than the, than she's admitting to. And I knew she was pretty sus um, from when Pixie said that they would detain the volunteers. Because remember, like, her face just, something didn't seem right about it. Um, and after that conversation, I was thinking in my head, is Yelena, like, schizophrenic? I think she's a true Yandere. Like, she's a Yandere in, like, the very essence of it. Like, she's not... Um, over the top crazy for Zeke and Aaron, um, where she is basically portrayed as a, a psycho, as many Yandere are. But she's a more realistic take on it, where you know she she can keep her cool, but she's a very manipulative individual, as we're learning, um, and really just has these these goals that tie right back to her obsession with Zeke, with Aaron, and with their Titan abilities. Yeah, so I'd say she kind of represents like the fanaticism um, that's kind of brewing within this episode. Um, you kind of see that with, you know, the general public that want to see Aaron being treated fairly. And then later on when you see like the Jaegerist faction being formed. Um, and yeah, I think the way that she looks at Aaron and Zeke's involvement um, in this conflict is like almost through like a rose-colored lens, like almost as if she can't find or she finds like nothing wrong with them and that they're basically the only hope for parodies. I, I find her, again, to be very crafty and manipulative. And it's very interesting that Onion Coupon tells Hanj later in the episode that um, he he feels that Yelena really, truly hates Marleyans with a passion. Yet she's been petitioning for Marley soldiers to have different jobs and roles in Paradise in what Hanj calls very interesting or unexpected places. Um, but overall, this... This conversation between Yelena and Pixis is really confusing to me because at one point Yelena says, uh, no, sorry, at one point Pixis says that, um, you know, you succeeded, Yelena, in manipulating Aaron like Zeke wanted. And then Yelena kind of like panics for a second and says, what's the point in doing that? And I'm like, what What do you mean? What's the, I don't know what why she's asking this question. Like, what's the point in manipulating Aaron? Or like, I, I don't know, something about that dialogue was like really off to me. I don't know if it was a translation thing or something like me being too dense and not realizing what she's trying to get at. But I, her asking what's the point in doing that 
I, I like don't understand what she's trying to get out with that. Yeah, this is where it's like, you know, we get all of this um, information overload and it would have kind of been nice to see the context of it if there were more sequences in this episode that kind of move the plot forward. Because um, right now, like you said, it's it's just confusing to know what her intentions are. Well, on top of that, like Pixis, I think, is picking up on some of her BS because if I'm replaying this conversation correctly, she says things like she just wanted to meet Aaron and just wanted to have him know who she was and that she only just really wants to see history change from Aaron and Zeke's side. So, you know, that kind of thinking about her like own selfish goal and all of this. But then at other times she goes and says things like, you know, she did what she did for the sake of Eldia and then was saying earlier that, you know, she, she had to meet with Aaron to get things to move along faster because the military was taking too long. So she's somewhat contradicting herself through this exchange and at some point she says things that that make it feel like this meeting was very innocent in nature and then at other points she says that it's to progress the plan um and speaking of like progressing the plan onion coupon even reveals again in that conversation with Hanj that yelena had no problem dirtying her hands to progress her goals and i i just i don't know something about her is definitely off but just what's kind of being hinted at or implied in this conversation is is still kind of confusing to me. And I think the other question that I have about this exchange is that at the end, Pixis asks Yelena to um, tell him everything that she and Aaron spoke about. But then he he finishes by saying, do you know how to tell a good lie? Sometimes you have to mix the truth in a little bit. And that was like another question where I'm like, I, why did you say that? Like, what are you trying to get at? So we'll just have to see. We'll have to see what um, what to make of that as things progress with Yelena. Either way, she's crazy. I really, I don't know. I felt very like conflicted by Zachary's death in this episode because he got blown up by his own poop chair. And I don't remember the poop chair at all. I found out about it because I was scrolling Twitter and someone mentioned poop chair. And I was like, wait, what? There was a poop chair in Attack on Titan? And I find anything to do with poop hilarious. So the fact that I didn't remember this is pretty bad on my part. <laughs> yeah, I think we even rewatched the scene where this chair was being used. And I didn't realize or I had forgotten that you know Za Zachary is kind of a sadist. Or like a masochist. That man is fucking crazy, but it's mm. cool that he made a poop chair, I guess. He basically made human centipede in chair form. But I think about like the the practicality of that chair and the person who's unfortunately strapped to it sitting upside down, I'm pretty sure he would be dead from like blood flowing to his brain long before he even gets to eat any of his own poo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're just, to think of the science behind this. Yeah, theory. just thinking logically about it, like, I think Zachary may have overlooked that key detail. <laughs> but the real point of the poop chair, I think, not only to remind us that Zachary is crazy and that um, his poop chair, his own invention was his own demise, but it's to further prove that this show is very tightly written and nothing goes to waste, as we've talked about before. We've mentioned in previous episodes that, first of all, dialogue never goes to waste in this in this show. And then we spoke later about how minor characters never go to waste. And now we're seeing objects not, not going to waste in this, this show. And I think it was probably very intentional for um, Isayama to bring back the poop chair in some way, shape, or form. But what is... I think the biggest mystery around the poop chair is that he asked for it to be delivered to his chambers and it was delivered by some scouts and therefore... Did he ask? 
I thought he said like they just there was nowhere else to store it. Um, he asked, "Let me pull up the clip." One second, everybody. Okay, so I just checked the clip. I think he says I had the recruits bring it here since there was nowhere else to store it. Mm. So he he did ask specifically for the poop chair, um, and it's placed very nicely next to his desk for any of his um, his guests, I guess, if they want to sit in the poop chair. I thought they were going to use it on air and as like a torture device. But. I kind of got that vibe too. And I think Mikasa did as well, which is why she asked about the chair or kind of like insinuated like, what, what is this chair here? Um, but then he kind of says, oh, no, don't worry about it. It's just because I asked for my poop chair. Great. <laughs> um, so after he gets blown up and we see half his body fly out the window, which I actually thought was really cool. Because normally in in explosion scenes, like there's just like nothing left, or for some reason there's like a full body all burnt or whatever. But like, why would the body still be intact? Here, Isayama's like, no, let's make it really real realistic, and let's have his you know his body fly out with like this this nice trajectory, this nice like arc out of the building because you know an explosion would force some things out, and then to land perfectly in front of the gate of the square where all the citizens are rioting. And then those citizens start to shout Shinzo wo Sasageo. And I think that was very powerful because what was once a phrase that was meant um, to signify protection for the people and inspiration for the scouts now has a more gloomy feeling to it. It was both uplifting and sad at the same time. Um, I think it kind of, I think it kind of symbolizes everything spiraling out of control versus everyone kind of, being together to fight titans and and protect the people yeah i wrote a note here that when they start uh chanting shinzo sasagio as you said it, it sounds less like that rallying call but almost like a cult-like chant and i think this is the point in the story where there is like a major turning point um because like the government is pretty much in disarray now and we find out later on like during this whole um sequence that Aaron is broken out of prison with the help of some scout defectors and I think that this all just demonstrates like the dangers of you know anarchy playing a role in trying to move the Eldian cause forward because everyone's seeing Aaron as like this this savior of parodies almost like a cult of personality um, and putting their full trust in him that he's the only person that can save the Eldian empire Um, but again anarchy is dangerous because there really is no no control in the situation when everyone's meeting in the the room the meeting room after zachary gets blown up um and it's revealed that aaron has escaped and you know everyone wants to take down the government and all that we we see like this moment of pure terror on mikasa and armin's faces and they're just so genuinely sad that things are happening with aaron that they aren't privy to or a part of like they're they're really feeling this distance from him um, and again, when they learn that he's escaped, Mikasa immediately turns to Armin, not Hanj or anyone else, but she turns to Armin because he's someone that I think can can understand where she's coming from and they share a special bond. Um, and then later in the carriage too, Armin also comforts Mikasa by saying, you know, it'll be okay. Aaron will understand us. Everything will be fine. No, he won't. <laughs> you know what? You got to have some hope. Okay. This is, this is all kind of going to shit right now. Mm. But what, what I'm getting at is that I'm so glad that while there's still a rift between like Aaron 
versus like Mikasa and Armin, especially with Armin being forced to go through all these things that he didn't want to because of Aaron's actions. And then Mikasa starting to question Aaron's behavior instead of like blindly following him as she always has done. Um, that bond between Mikasa and Armin is still going strong. It's like the kind of the silver lining of this situation that at least they have each other and no amount of chaos around them seems to be able to tear them apart. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's somewhat refreshing to really see more of the Armin and Mikasa dynamic because oftentimes Aaron is that focal point of the trio and kind of brings them together. So this reinforces for us as the audience that Armin and Mikasa are true friends and, and they have their own genuine bond, not just two people brought together through Aaron. So I love that we're getting more moments between them and I would love to see this continue um, because it just it's such a, a fresh take on on these characters. We, of course, cannot forget the Aaron fan service that was delivered to all of us in this episode. Uh, like um, our our friend Aaron, um, not Aaron, but Aaron. Uh, <laughs> A-A-Ron. Un- yeah, from Under the Bun. I, um, I liked how he called it kind of like the shirtless Kylo A-A-Ron. Because <laughs> that's basically what we get here. Um, although, just to kind of point out the animation, the scene where he puts on his coat, um, after it's handed over by Flock, it seems much more dramatically animated compared to how it was featured in the trailers. And apparently there was a lot of uproar um, within the anime slash manga community about this particular scene. Because um, I guess MAPPA had redone the scene so it looks less like the actual panel in the manga when Aaron puts on his puts on the jacket. Which I think is it's such a minute detail to these are to just the about. aaron simps okay <laughs> this is just the fucking aaron simp squad getting really pissed because they didn't get to see all of his like 18 pack abs yeah i guess so and you know i i had no problem with the the scene being reanimated um again i'm not a manga purist so i don't know what that feeling of seeing that scene would have been like but i think it's again it's a more dynamic pose than than what we originally got it was gorgeous with the sunset behind him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, ignoring the fact that he's shirtless the whole time. Um, like, it was a very well-done scene. Just him, like, approaching that group with Flock. The amazing colors with the sunset behind him. And then, again, like you said, the 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 drama behind him putting on a fucking yeah. jacket. Like, what more could you ask for? And at the end of the day, technically, MAPPA did animate it, according to the manga. It was just in the trailer, not in yeah. the actual show. So, you know what? Someone can do an Attack on Titan edit and they can just sub in the trailer footage for the actual episode footage so that everyone can be happy. Yeah, there's no reason. I I think I said this in the previous podcast. There's no reason to vilify MAPPA for for the work that they're doing because, you know, anime, it's a tough industry. Um, We were listening to a Trash Chase podcast where they were interviewing an animator who was kind of explaining, like, these episodes are basically done a week or two before yeah. they're aired. So there's so much pressure on the animators to, to get things right. Um, so for like, for the internet to just spew out hate and, you know, condemn MAPPA or like try to cancel them or whatever, it's, it's just, it's crazy. It just, it makes all of those fans feel like little Gabby brats. <laughs> like they just mm. feel bratty like Gabby does to me. Mm. And at the end of the day, um, to kind of add to your point, there have been, because I'll, I'll browse Twitter from time to time just to, 
to see what's up with Attack on Titan. And I've seen plenty of comparison shots where there are key frames from the anime or key scenes from the anime that are one for one to the manga. I mean, almost drawn to a T. And it's usually a lot of the close-ups or I think Aaron standing in front of the, the mirror saying fight was one of them. But it's like you can't ignore or brush aside all of those exact moments that mappa has animated just because they didn't animate aaron's abs in such a glorious fashion (laughs) yeah but with that scene i I do want to say i'm a bit confused because i thought for a second that aaron's titan marks on his eyes were like a permanent thing now but i don't think they are because when we rewatch the episode um he there's a quick flashback where they're showing pixis interviewing or you know, trying to talk to Aaron and Aaron's kind of like sitting on his bed slumped over in his jail cell. And I think if I was looking at it correctly, he does not have the Titan lines on his face. But then when he approaches Flock in this the scene, he has very distinctly the Titan lines on his face. So I'm like, did he transform in between getting busted out of jail to meeting up with Flock? Because that's an indication that he he became the attack Titan, right? Yeah, and I think in the subsequent military meeting, they don't mention like, oh, we found the his cell to be destroyed or, or we <laughs> a found pile the, of the corpse of the attack titan after yeah. he exited from the, the nape of the neck. <laughs> but it could very well be that he did transform because like where the fuck was his shirt? <laughs> like, yeah. Why did he suddenly go shirtless? And where did he get those dark pants from? Was he wearing those black pants the whole time? Because he yeah, definitely maybe, had a yeah. shirt on in the jail cell, okay? Mm. But, like, I, I'm just confused by that whole thing. Like, I, I know that when uh, in the last, not the last episode, maybe a couple episodes ago, when he was talking to Hanj when he was in the jail cell, like, he distinctly had the Titan lines on his face. And then, yeah, in between, it seems like they they subsided and then they're back again. So, I don't know. A very minor detail, but I'm just like, is it permanent? Is it not? Did he transform before he met up with the group? Did he not? I just have so many irrelevant questions. <laughs> I mean, he, we did see in Marley, like he transformed like nonstop. So I don't know if it's just like the, the marks are trying to catch up to how many times he's transformed. But... Or honestly, you know what? Now that I think about it, maybe he transformed just so he could meet up with Flock faster. Can you imagine him having to run by foot, by human size foot, like all the no. way to wherever the fuck Flock is? Like they probably met very far away. So maybe he transformed in order to get there faster because he can travel like a thousand times faster in Titan form. But if they were the ones to break him out, why is he suddenly separated from them? That's a good question. Unless it was somebody else undercover for the Jaegerists and then they just like slipped him out of his cell. Mm. I don't know. We may or may not find out because again, it's a, it's a very minor detail, but just one that confuses me a bit. One thing that I kind of realized with this scene is I think what's interesting about this whole parodies arc for season four is that we barely see things we barely see things through Aaron's perspective now compared to like the past three seasons where he was basically our eyes and ears um now we only see him like through the perspective of others and you know like them like Mikasa like Armin we can't quite put a finger on what he's become and he's almost become like more and more mysterious but at the same time attains like this sort of mythical status with the way like the public's regarding him or with how like the Jaegerists again see him as the only person that can save um, the the new Eldian Empire and again going back to him being like this cult of personality so it's just very interesting to see Aaron kind of like an outsider 
I'm looking in now. Um, and here's my inevitable Star Wars reference. <laughs> it's almost like Aaron is becoming the Darth Vader to Zeke's Emperor Palpatine. Oh, shit. <laughs> so who knows if like he's fully accepted the dark side. Although I don't know if there's really a dark side in this situation, but... Everyone is dark. Yeah, that's what we are starting to learn uh, in this episode. That is a really good point that you bring up that we have not seen things from his perspective. I haven't even like had a moment to think about that because of everything else going on. Um, But I I think that's purely intentional because Mm -hmm. it it helps maintain that as you as you mentioned it, like that shroud of mystery around him. Um, And it also kind of forces our hand as the audience to make that call of like do we trust Aaron still do we not like we know just as much as everyone else does so now we also have to make that decision because it's not being made for us Mm -hmm. when we reach that point in the episode where there's a second meeting with a couple different branches of the government again um we have them kind of arguing in front of Lady Kiyomi and I don't want to say much about Lady Kiyomi because there's really not much to say but I did enjoy that Mikasa called her out and Lady Kiyomi couldn't really do anything because I think Mikasa is technically her superior. Yeah, and everything she said was true. Like, they're just in it for the money, as I've been saying it these past couple episodes. And good for Mikasa. That was that was pretty badass. Yeah. And, like, why would you question Mikasa's loyalty to, to Paradis? Um, and I like how she says, like, I am an Eldian, like, this is the place where I was born and it's the place that I'm going to defend. Like, why would she just abandon abandon the people that she's grown up with and and defended the land with? This is why she's best girl in my eyes. Better than Peak. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, but with this, this whole scene, I think the important part is Pixis. Um, I, I think his decision is very controversial, but honestly, as dumb or as lazy as it seems on the surface, I fully agree with Pix's plan. Pixis's Pixis's plan. <laughs> the infighting, honestly, will only weaken Paradise. He's mm-hmm. not wrong about that. And they don't necessarily want to make Aaron and the Aegirus their enemy. They just want to go about things in a more like calm and collected way, but that's not Aaron's way of doing things. So choosing to side with them is not a stupid plan. It just comes with some risks, um, but less risks than if they were to go against them. And I think this kind of ties in with this being another instance of, you know, the cycle running anew or history repeating itself because I think they mentioned during this meeting that, you know, the military is now dealing with traitors within its own ranks, um, much like the conversation between Willie Tiber and Magath back in Marley where they were trying to decipher the traitors within their own military. And it's interesting because, if you remember, infighting between the Eldians is what led to their initial downfall a hundred hundreds of years ago. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. But I think, like you said, Pictius's decision here um, kind of subverts that that cycle um, where, you know, you kind of just have to accept things for what they are because if you don't, it just further complicates this already complicated situation. Um, but it, it just makes you wonder, like, what's the truth anymore? What is the right way to really resolve this conflict? Yeah, and I know that siding with Aaron or, I guess, negotiating with Aaron may make the military seem a bit weak, but... 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I think the bloodshed is going, would potentially be, you know, very unnecessary and they have a bigger enemy to worry about. Um, so the last thing they need is for a, a whole breakdown of their system or to reduce their numbers by their own hands. Um, so it's a tough call to make. It's not the, the popular decision, but of the available options, Pixis, I think, made the right call. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, when we see um, the scouts getting to their horses so that they can, I think, head to the restaurant, um, it was really sad. And I think this might be the most sad part of this episode, in my opinion. It was really sad to see only four of the OG scouts left when they're with Hans. You've got Mikasa, Armin, Jean, and Connie. Now, I know that Aaron is still alive. Yes, he's part of the the OG. but Don't forget Levi. Well, I'm talking like the actual recruits, oh, like the yeah, yeah. scout recruits, because mm-hmm. you've got Hanj, you've got Levi, but I just, I don't know, I felt kind of sad. I'm like, that's all that's really left, or like who's actively part of this main group is just the four of them. It's kind of like The Walking Dead. <laughs> the, yeah. The group just gets smaller and smaller each episode. Oh, it like broke my heart. And and when they're talking to Connie questions who side Mikasa is on because she's defending Aaron. And I really like this part because she says, Armin and I almost got caught in the explosion. Whose side do you think that we're on? And Connie just responds with, huh? And that's like exactly like the flashback (laughs) from um, the train ride a couple episodes ago where he and Sasha kept saying, huh, to each other. And honestly, he's just too dumb to understand what Mikasa's implying in this part. But I I love that they carried that over even into this moment. Like she asked him a very... Um, ambiguous question and he like just cannot process it and has that dumbfounded face again that's still connie being connie i think it'll be interesting to see what hans and the scouts find out um, when they visit the marlins that yelena has helped place in key jobs Um, because i was kind of wondering like what is the significance of this and it was interesting when pixies brought up the point earlier that or was it pixies or no hans brought up the point earlier that like, yeah, Elena supposedly despises Marlins, but why would she vouch for them to have certain rights in parodies? And the way I see it is that, again, with this kind of possibly being Yelena and Zeke's contingency plan, um, that Yelena possibly planted Marlins in these key jobs, um, knowing that they still have a disdain for these aliens and could probably act upon that disdain. Um, Harkening back to the whole wine sequence, which we haven't seen a resolution to that yet. But I think knowing how, I guess, Marlene emotions would run high um, in their like treatment on parodies. And we kind of see that in episode 69 when the officer, that one officer kind of brashly calls over the Marlene waiter um, to get him another glass of wine or whatever. Um, that the Marlians would probably not mutiny, but do their damnedest to get rid of the Paradis military, I guess. So I think it's kind of Yelena's way to thin out like the scout regiment or the military because they've basically been the red tape to Zeke's plan this whole time. And it's a way for Zeke to kind of remove the military from the equation so that they can no longer stand in his way with, you know, the rumbling and, um, with the coming war. I feel like I'm I'm just thinking about what's coming in the next episode, and we'll talk about the preview in just a second. I feel like I'm so sad and nervous at the same time for what's ahead because of, you know, what could be the culmination of Yelena and Zeke's plan 
um, and, and everything just possibly coming to fruition. Um, plus, as the scouts are riding to, I think, again, what I presume to be the restaurant, um, we get the, oh, how the turntables peak reveal Mm-mm. for anyone who knows Mm-mm. that office reference <laughs> first Mm-mm. we get i think in the first episode of the season um a hint at jean being undercover in marley and now we get peak undercover in parodies Ooh. and both of them are reading newspapers so i don't know man if we talk about history repeating itself it's probably going to happen very fast yeah. this time around <laughs> But that makes me wonder, how the hell did she get to the island so quickly? Well, how the hell did Aaron get to the uh, to the mainland? It's like the same question <laughs> I have. Like, there's a big transportation thing, the, this big transportation question mark out there on both sides, and no one's answering that question for me. And I, I know it's a very minor question, but I want to know how people are getting back and forth. Yeah, unless they just use their titan forms to swim over and... She's a cart titan. She but could like, probably turn into a boat. <laughs> can you imagine? I'm sure Paradise has like scopes of some sort. Like, I don't know, magnifying glasses. Not magnifying glasses. What do you call those things? Like the... the, Paris, the periscope? Tu- not per- The tube things that like pirates would use and all that shit. Telescope? Te- I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> what <a> Stethoscopes. <laughs> some kind of scope. I'm sure there's something that they have, binoculars of some sort, where they can see what's coming. Can you imagine seeing just like three or four fucking titans swimming out to you? That That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Although, uh, Parodies, to our knowledge, only has the one port. So maybe Peek just circumvented it or went around it she has the car titan after all mm-hmm. but shout out to jason leader of the peak sim squad because Boo. his girl <laughs> is back in the fray and rob too i think rob our good friend jason our good friend rob they both simp hard for for peak so um shout out to the peak sim squad your girl's back in the game we're gonna see what kind of shit she's gonna fuck up in the next episode or two I'll give it like I'll give it to her. She arrives at the perfect time because I think since Paradise is so like preoccupied with the fuckery that's just going on inside their border borders, they're devoting less time on you know this the true enemy that walks among them, and that's all personified in Peak. I wonder if maybe we secretly got like shots of Reiner and Galliard, um, maybe in like other crowd shots, but we like didn't know it. Oh, kind of like how we got shots of Aaron. Yeah, and I thought it was peak the whole time because they both have long hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that leads us into the preview for the next episode. We we have to talk about this because I I I'm like scared to watch it. I'm I'm so nervous. The wine comes back. Okay, the wine that is like <laughs> the special house wine. The special house wine, man. It's it's back and it's gonna kill somebody. I'm sure, or it's gonna lead to someone's death. And I I'm not looking forward to it. Um, in the preview, we um, we get a lot of shots of Gabby. So unfortunately, I think we have another semi Gabby episode coming up. But whatever. Um, on the plus side, it does seem like we'll have some Levi and Zeke moments. Hopefully. Um, and we get a lot of that wine and particularly the shot of Jean holding it and then it getting snatched from his hands. I mean, at first I was like, no, no, Jean, please do not drink the wine. But then someone like forcefully grabs it out of his hands. And I think maybe this is a guess. I'm not sure if it was clear enough in the preview. I think maybe it was Nicolo grabbing it away from him, or at least I hope so, mm. because he does know what's in that wine. And I, I like wanted to want to believe so bad that Nicolo is a good person because he had these feelings for Sasha and invited her family over to the restaurant 
I, I, I like want to believe that maybe he's just kind of wrapped up in this and has his hand forced maybe by Yelena. But either way, I hope he's protecting John, who you know was one of Sasha's best friends, by grabbing that wine away from him. I, I hope that it's it's intentional so that John can be protected because I like his character a lot, and I'll be very upset if something happens to him. Yeah, I think this in this next episode that restaurant is just a powder keg waiting to explode. Yeah, because you've got like Hanj and Mikasa and Armin and Connie and John all going to the restaurant where Gabby and Falco are, along with Sasha's family and Nicola. <laughs> like, this is going to be some really messed up shit. Mm -hmm. And I think this is like the intersection of all these storylines. Again, the separate one with Gabby and Falco and now the the story with the scouts um, all converging into this one episode. So I, I hope that this really does drive the plot forward and we kind of get questions to, or not questions, we get answers to a lot of the questions that we that we have from this episode. Well, I have an immediate question. Did the scouts, when they're riding on their horses to the restaurant at the end of this episode, did they have their ODM gear on them? Because I don't I'm think thinking so. if you've got Peak sitting right fucking there, well, maybe she's not right there, but she's in the vicinity. The only person who's got Titan powers in this moment is Armin. But Armin cannot mm. use the Colossal Titan because he'll fucking demolish everybody that he's trying to protect. So I would assume that they're smart enough to bring their ODM gear with them. But I don't know for sure. I think because they were wearing their long trench coats. I don't know if it's possible for them to wear that along with with the ODM gear. If they're not with their ODM gear at this moment, I, I feel like shame on Paradise because not only have they let their guard down to the point where the enemy has infiltrated, now they're not even prepared for what's very likely a surprise attack. Like even if they think that Marley's not ready to attack them yet, they should always be on the ready on their end. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I can feel my my anxiety levels rising just thinking about what's <laughs> coming up next week. It's going to be... It's it's going to be major, I feel. It's going to be a peak performance. It's going to be, according to Jason, peak performance. <laughs> leader of the peak sim squad. Unreal. <laughs> but I think that brings us to our final thoughts for season four, episode 71, Guides. So how many fan service errands out of 10 would you give this episode? I would give it a solid seven. Um, I felt like it was on the same level as the previous episode, which I think I also gave a 7 out of 10. Um, it just didn't capture me. Like, there's a lot of stuff that happened, but it wasn't something that left me on the edge of my seat like a lot of the, the previous episodes have. It just felt like I was watching what was happening, but I wasn't, like, super intently invested in what was happening. So 7 out of 10 because it was still a solid episode. It just wasn't one of the best ones of the season. What about you? I would give it a little bit more credit and rate this an 8 out of 10. Um, of course, in true Attack on Titan fashion, we get another series and a succession of talking episodes that may have overstayed their welcome. Um, but it, I think this one's a very intellectually stimulating episode because it provides so much setup to the shit that is about to soon go down. And it introduces this, this interesting notion that, you know, Paradise is not only at war with the world, but it's now at war with itself. Now that there are two camps with differing views on Aaron's place in the conflict. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out when the actual conflict comes at hand and 
how parodies as a whole is going to respond to that now that there are all of these different complications and issues um, that are politically sprouting up. And yeah, looking at this holistically, I think there are only four more episodes. That's crazy. That's yeah. absolutely crazy. There's no way that we're not getting a part two or not getting a movie, although I'd rather have a part two yeah. this season. But yeah, it just seems like the story is not going to conclude in these final four episodes with the pace that they're currently going. I think it's probably going to end with, again, my theory is like the wine is going to turn some of the scouts or military people in the Titan serums, and then we have this showdown, and then that's where this this season ends or hopefully this part of the season ends. So we'll just wait and see what happens. And that wraps up this special episode of Strictly Anime. New special episodes release every Wednesday following the new episode of Attack on Titan. This is in addition to our regular schedule for Strictly Anime. If you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series to connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com, to share your thoughts on the anime that we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageyo. Shinzo wa sasageyo.